You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Recently on The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton talked about Bored Ape NFTs. And it felt like a real moment. Uh, last time you were on the show, I asked you to explain NFTs. Uh, and you did so in a great way, uh, which is a very hard thing to really explain to a lot of people. But yeah, I, I, got, I, I jumped in. I know, I heard. I'm I, so happy I taught you what they were. You did. You taught me what's up, and then I bought an ape. I got an ape, too. It's been a big year for NFTs so far. First of all, there's been a dramatic rise in sales of these once-obscured digital assets. It feels like more and more celebrities are just talking about NFTs. And one company called OpenSea has emerged as the go-to marketplace for all NFT transactions. But with this big increase in business and in money involved, come some growing pains that have fallen on some unsuspecting consumers. Russell Brandom, policy editor at The Verge, has been covering the rise of OpenSea and joins us today. Hey, Russell. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it seems like last year was a big one for NFTs, but lately it seems like this year might be bigger, like they're everywhere. Uh, What do you think is driving the boom right now? Yeah, it's sort of like what drives any booms. What made Pogs so popular all at once? <laughs> I, the part of it is very mysterious. I do think part of it is also just, you know, people see a cool new thing. It kind of travels through the culture. So initially it was really among like heavy Bitcoin blockchain people. Then it kind of became a bigger, oh, if you're in the tech world, you need to be aware of this and care about it. And now it's really just celebrities, mass culture. It's kind of breaking big. So say an average person just found out about NFTs from The Tonight Show or from a friend and they want to invest. What would that experience look like? Do you think the average person would be able to figure out what's the wise thing for them to do in the NFT world? Uh, right. So it's two questions. What what? Can they do it? And then can they figure out a wise way to do it? So the number one thing I would say is do not invest in these. This is not an investment. Um, In in the same way that like buying an expensive comic book at an auction is not a good investment because there's just no logic to what it will be worth in the future. And anything could happen. And this is like tens of thousands of dollars in many cases. Uh, so number one, if if you just don't care about the money and you think the eight picture looks cool and you want to buy it, go nuts. I really do not, this is not investment. Like, please do not do that. If you want to buy one though, the main thing is there's like a couple different accounts you're going to have to set up. Uh, but basically you should get an NFT wallet service. MetaMask is the one most people do. OpenSea is the platform that most of them are listed on, so you can find sort of what NFTs are out there. You purchase them using Ethereum, which is this 
Bitcoin-like currency. It's sort of more sophisticated than Bitcoin, so it can do these smart contract things. And you're going to have to buy some of that. Coinbase is a popular service for buying cryptocurrency. So you, you know, buy enough as, as you need and then use the Ethereum to buy your NFT and then you can store it in your wallet. Well, it does sound more complicated than saving up your nickels and buying a Beanie Baby in the 90s. And that was before eBay. But I would say, you know, if Jimmy Fallon can do it, the listeners of this fine podcast can probably do it. That is fantastic! <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you've been covering OpenSea, uh, and it's a company that's gone from being relatively unloaned to being sort of the epicenter of the NFT marketplace. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it works and how it got started? One of the phrases... I heard that really kind of snapped it into focus for me was Amazon of NFTs, sort of Web3 is the term for this broader ecosystem. They sort of made the tools for buying things and selling things and listing things for sale, and you can auction and and do all of that. Uh, And they really have a, a very good system for it and kind of making a website that looks good and people can use and also that will correspond to these things happening on the blockchain in this complex decentralized way that's just not straightforward to like program. So for for many of these kind of big sales, the creators get a certain percentage off the top and uh, OpenSea also gets a percentage when you use the OpenSea platform. So they've been getting sort of 2.5% commission on these sales through OpenSea for the whole time. The difference is as of like January 2020, that was basically no money. And now it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars a month just in the fees. So it really is they kind of built the best NFT marketplace and then all of a sudden, everyone started caring a lot about NFTs and doing all of these big dollar transactions on them. And so it really is, you know, they set up shop in front of the gold mine. Who were the, the people behind it? How did they end up finding themselves as kind of the overseers of the NFT space? Yeah. So the OpenSea founders, it's uh, Alex Atala and Devin Finzer. Um, you know, there's a there's a business founder and a technical co-founder, as you often find in these things. And they're really classic startup guys. Uh, Atala had worked for Palantir at low levels in a bunch of big tech companies. Finzer had started this earlier company that basically looked for like money the government owes you and it would do this automated search and it was acquired by this other company. And it, it was sort of the classic kind of worst startup guys were doing this. Uh, and they applied to Y Combinator basically with the pitch of, we think NFTs are going to be really huge and we want to build this marketplace. This was in the winter of 2017 to 2018. So, you know, the spec that allows you to do these, build these tokens on the Ethereum blockchain had was still in beta. It was, it was not like it was absolutely brand new. There had been CryptoKitties, which was an early success story, but for three years, basically no one cared about NFTs outside of the the sort of tech funder VC, you know, Andreessen Horowitz was extremely interested and kept funding them. But there was no real activity in the marketplace until 2021. It blows up and now they're at the center of this massive trade. Can you tell me a little bit more about how they broke through and sort of caught the attention of Silicon Valley royalty like Andreessen Horowitz? You also mentioned they're part of Y Combinator looking at a lot of like Y Combinator stuff, they, they are the kind of person you would expect to, to be building this. And, and I'll also say like Andreessen Horowitz, this was at a time when they were really doubling down on cryptocurrency 
startups. Uh, and, and they funded a lot of them that did not blow up in this way. I mean, th- this is sort of the nature of the VC sort of game. But this was, they were spinning off their individual funds. Katie Hahn, who is the Silk Road Task Force prosecutor, you know, what had just joined the company to be a central partner in a lot of these funds um, and, and is now on the board of Coinbase that I mentioned earlier and OpenSea itself. So it, it did coincide with this massive investment push from VC firms across the board. And you said now OpenSea is effectively the Amazon of NFTs or Web3 as a whole. How have the sort of true believers in crypto reacted to one company being so dominant in the space? It was interesting when I was reporting, I, I, you know, I'm a tech policy guy. So I think very much in terms of, oh, they're a monopoly. Like they have the lock on it. They're the big gorilla in the room now. Um, The true believers are very skeptical of that. And part of that is because the decentralization that's built into Ethereum, they really put a lot of stock in what that will mean for this as a marketplace. So they say, you know, OpenSea got there first, like credit to them. They're a good service. I use it. It's great. But they don't think that this is going to stop other people from coming in and building, you know, the next OpenSea. They say someone came around tomorrow building a parallel service. All this information is on the blockchain. They don't have that much advantage from being sort of the central arbiter that it would allow them to edge out competitors. So I was very surprised. People were like, is it an Amazon or is it sort of a Netscape AOL that is just hot for a particular moment and then the scene moves on? And and I think that's an open question. It's fair. I think a lot of it depends on how much you really believe in decentralization and the power of that. And as you said in your reporting too, It's not like OpenSea is without its problems. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the issues that the company is facing? Maybe growing pains is a better way of putting it. This is the other startup platform story is that they did not invest heavily in trust and safety during the lean years, right? So they were building the technology to do this, which is now their big advantage. But all throughout 2021, you know, they had, as I said, for three years, no one cared about NFTs in the consumer space. And so they were, they did not have a lot of income. They were extremely lean team. And all of a sudden you have just millions and millions of dollars passing through your platform. And so you see things like people build NFTs of famous figures that they like. And then the person says, oh, I have likeness rights. You can't sell a trading card of me without my permission. And I would like you to take this down. And then, well, how do we take it down off the blockchain? It's just on there. What are our systems for that? What's our standard for when we're going to take something down or when we're not going to take something down? NFTs get stolen very much in the same way that that Bitcoin gets stolen. Uh, you know, if, if someone gets your password or somehow compromises the stack of services you're using, they can just take it. Well, okay, if they've taken it, OpenSea says we're not going to deal in stolen goods. This is like a very classic place to draw the line for a retailer. But then if you find out after the thief has sold it to some third person, then that person made what they thought was a legitimate purchase and they're suddenly just out of luck. A lot of these questions they really had to to sort of figure out in real time at a much faster pace than would have been ideal for anyone. Well, not to overdo the comparison, but this sounds a lot like Amazon and its problems with counterfeits. 
It is, except it's this digital good. And so you can make, you know, it, you have to work really hard to make a counterfeit of a Gucci purse or, or whatever. Whereas making a counterfeit of an NFT is easy because it's just a picture and you can sort of right click and save and say, oh, now I have this new token. By the way, and I know we're backtracking a little bit here, but what exactly is the deal with the bored apes? What can you actually do with them and why are they so popular? Oh, man, that's a that's a big question. I mean, are you asking what an NFT is or are you asking why the apes specifically are so popular? Why? This is this is it gets tricky, right? Yeah, well, I'm asking why the apes specifically. I, I think I know what an NFT is, but I'm not exactly sure how these um, sort of crusty looking drawings have become worth uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's a digital culture question. Like, why is it that people want this? At a certain point, it becomes this cachet of, you know, I saw Alexis Ohanian has an ape. I've got to have an ape too. It'll show that I get this thing. Why is it the apes? Why isn't it something that is less aggressively ugly? Why not something with more artistic merit or just something less stupid? These are the questions that we deal with as, as observers of tech culture. I, I am as baffled by them as you are. And it's the Bored Ape Yacht Club. Is it an actual club? Are there yachts? I think there are people who own apes and have purchased yachts as individuals. I don't think there's like a clubhouse. They'll have events and you feel like if you have an ape, you're part of the club. But I don't think there's not a formal club system there. It doesn't get you like pool privileges or anything. I see. Well, looking ahead, it seems like OpenSea is not going anywhere anytime soon. What does its future look like in the coming months and even years? They have raised a lot of money. And this is related to the fact that, you know, they were running a very lean team and then very quickly doing a ton of business and had to scale up and, and sort of deal with this flood of people making transactions on their platform. I think at this point, they are just by virtue of that 2.5% commission bringing in a huge amount of money. Private companies, always tricky to say, but the Series C, which was just in January, would put them at $13 billion. So I think at this point, they realize that their rocket is taking off and they're just trying to cling on for dear life. And I mean, assuming that people still keep trading NFTs on their platform, it really is, they're just printing money for a while. Russell, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Today's episode was produced by John Ahrens and engineered by Paul Robert Mouncey. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thank you for listening. 